Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Okay, welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And for those watching the video of my, uh, my topic today, which is a, a really important trend that I see, I've heard about it over the years. It's something that I'm encouraging my investors and entrepreneurs to be aware of because I really do think that we are in, um, I don't like to use the word perfect storm considering all the things that are going on in our environment right now, but we are in a place where technology and the affordability of the technology and the feasibility of the technology has finally caught up to the need and the urgency in some cases for people to utilize this. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about vertical farming. Okay. So, you know, I've over the years, um, I have had, and we're going to get into this with my guest today, Eddie Badrina. I'm going to introduce him in just a second, but he can say hi to the folks that are watching. Um, when, you know, it's one thing that has crossed my desk, oh, over the years and all kinds of things. As hydroponics was first starting to come out, um, I had been involved in an EB-5 project where they put in a hydroponics farm. It was not vertical, it was horizontal, but it was a huge boon to the economy down in Alabama. And, uh, and it was a great opportunity for job creation and things like that. So there's, you know, I've just been kind of watching this space for a while and I, and when Eddie came across my radar to have this podcast. I said, we got to do it. This is it. Time is right. I want my investors. I want the entrepreneurs out there because as part of what I talk about in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, is that you're swimming to the puck, right? That's a phrase that says, here's where trends and technologies and opportunities are going and you need to be aware of them. So when you look at opportunities, whether you're investing or looking to start a company in that or be a part of it, or joint venture, look at technology that's out there, then this is where you need to go. We're gonna talk about that great opportunity today because here's something that I wanna, I wanna level set and then, I'm, and then I'm gonna actually do my real introduction to Eddie. So according to Allied, Mar this is why it's important. According to Allied Market Research, the global vertical farming market size is valued at $2.23 billion in 2018 and is protected to reach 12.7 billion in 2026 with a, a growth of 24.6% from 2019 to 2026. Because that's just one number. And I looked, well, as you know, so according to the um, Grandview research, it's very similar, but slightly less. According, according to the Global Market Insights research, it's larger and growing and actually going to be a $22 billion industry. Now that's worldwide, but that just says that there is a lot of, of organizations and communities that are looking at this as a solution to solve a lot of problems when it comes to getting access to uh, re-engineering how farming is done, but also getting access to locally grown produce and you know straight farm to market to table and all of that. And that's what we're going to talk about here today with Eddie. Okay, so Eddie Badrina, he is the CEO of Eden Green Technology. It's a vertical farming technology company, as I've talked about. It's dedicated to changing the way we farm our food and feed our communities. 
and he is a graduate of Texas A&M University and the Bush School for Government and Public Service. During his time in Washington, D.C., he was on the Smithsonian Institute's National Advisory Council for Filipino-American Centennial Commemoration, as well as mission-critical roles at the U.S. Department of State and liaisons within those communities. Eddie is on the board of directors for Seed Effect. It's a microfinance nonprofit. And before jo joining Eden Green Technology, Eddie co-founded BuzzShift, which is a digital strategy agency for mid-sized brands and organizations. And so, first of all, hello, Eddie. Welcome to the show officially. Karen, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Yes, great. And uh, so t tell our listeners, tell the compassionate capitalists out there, because what you're doing truly is, falls within the scope of a compassionate capitalist. So what made you pivot from a company that you co-founded and is still operational to be the CEO of Eden Green Technology? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, I started, so just a bit of background, I started BuzzShift in 2010 with my business partner, uh, bootstrapped it, uh, brought it up to a size where we were acquired in 2016, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, and, then, uh, and then after we sold it, 11 months later, we bought it back. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was one of those, uh, I, I called it uh, mutually decoupling. Yeah. Uh, and, and we had a chance to just take a step back and think about, hey, how would we run this better? Uh, we, we did it. We, we beat all the odds of uh, starting a company, uh, having it last longer than two years, having it be profitable, and then, the, uh, then taking it to acquisition, successful acquisition. So we just had a chance to take a step back. And one of those things was developing a leadership team uh, that would allow us to pursue other ventures. And so uh, two years, roughly two years after we uh, after we bought it back, I was in a position just to take a step back and think, hey, what, what do I want to do uh, that is impactful for the next uh, half of my life, right? I was sort of this halftime moment, if you will. And three things stuck out to me. One was, uh, that was put really on my heart, was uh, to do hardware and software, uh, one or the other or both. Uh, I had done professional services for the better part of 10 years. And, and had been successful at that, gotten the t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> and so I just figured, okay, that, that, that's something. And it wasn't just, it was something that was very, uh, very much on my heart and my mind of wanting to build a company around that. Uh, the second one was having a huge social and cultural impact relative to my level of effort. So, uh, so I'm in, uh, I'm 44 and uh, I've had experiences uh, with the State Department uh, doing uh, foreign policy at the highest levels. Uh, I was uh, a director of a uh, White House agency, a uh, White House uh, initiative for Asian Americans for two years. Uh, and then I uh, came back to Dallas, uh, came back to Texas, and, and that's where I got my start with BuzzShift. Uh, so I had done a number of things, but uh, the social and cultural impact uh, really, uh, to me, was important because I had it was a culmination of all the things I had done beforehand and uh, to be able to, to leverage all of those uh, to impact the community around me or even worldwide was something that was very interesting to me. And then the last thing that uh, was, uh, was on my mind and my heart was the ability to build a, a company that had uh, what's known as a redemptive culture. So 
Uh, there's a group out of New York called Praxis Labs, and they talk about a redemptive framework for building organizations, uh, both businesses as well as nonprofits. Uh, but uh, very uh, most companies are, uh, let's call them exploitative in nature. Uh, their leaders eat first. Uh, they treat their employees poorly. And uh, the community environment around them is, uh, is a net negative because of them. Uh, for for I would say there are a, a, cup, a number of companies that are ethical in nature, and that's where uh, the leaders eat alongside uh, their, their employees. They treat their employees fairly, right? Uh, and then it's a net neutral to the community environment around them. Uh, I wanted to build a company and uh, build a culture that was redemptive, and that's where the leaders eat last. There's sacrificial leadership involved. Uh, employees are, are blessed. Uh, they're not just treated fairly. Uh, they're treated with, with uh, generosity. And then uh, the community and environment around the company or organization uh, benefits and is, uh, is, there's an additive nature to it, right? So uh, those, all those three things combined, uh, I, I saw in Eden Green. And so yeah. I joined Eden Green uh, as the CEO in, uh, in 2019. And my vision uh, was to have it become a, a technology company, a technology platform that, that happens to grow produce. And we do it for the benefit of uh, feeding a lot of people uh, and for really just uh, disrupting the way that uh, that we're farming, uh, the way that we're distributing and supplying food, uh, both in the community and around the world. Yeah. So what you described there as the way you described the redemptive culture is really what I think conscious capitalism has been trying to promote, but, uh, you know, as, as this concept of, you know, how do you treat your employees? How do you operate within your corporate culture? And then what's the impact in the community around you and you just spelled that out beautifully so that's uh inspiring in and of itself you know so uh thank you for that absolutely um, yeah so now so so as we said you know eden green technology is a vertical farming technology company with this turnkey urban agricultural model that you had referred to um, as a regenerative business model as well. Yes. So what is a regenerative business model? So that's where uh, intrinsic within the business is the ability to give back, uh, not as an afterthought, but as a part of the business. So uh, for instance, most businesses, and it's, there's no knock on them, right? There's most businesses, they get their net profit, uh, and then they give a portion of their net profits. And I know some amazing business people who have just dedicated uh, a portion of their retained earnings or net profit towards, uh, towards community involvement. Uh, and then there are companies that, you know, for the betterment of their business are involved in the community. Um, I think with a regenerative business, the, the, the key difference is, is you're actually uh, benefiting the community uh, in the operations of it. So before you get to that last line, right, uh, you're, you're benefiting the community uh, during the operations. And so this is what it looks like for us, at least. And it's different for every business, but for us, uh, when we, uh, just even the way the business is built uh, and the way the technology is, so uh, they're 18 foot vertical towers and uh, over an acre and a half, those 
vertical towers that have plant spots in them and they're grown hydroponically and we can get to that in a second like what is hydroponics uh, but they're grown hydroponically they can produce that acre and a half produces anywhere from 800 to 900,000 pounds of leafy greens that's about the equivalent to 33 farming acres traditional farming acres uh, but somehow that happens in an acre and a half yeah and and the, the water that it uses uh, is the equivalent of two households. So our acre and a wow. half facility uses 90,000 gallons of water a year. Uh, your, your house, my house, uses about 45,000 gallons of water a year, if you can believe that. Uh, a farm, to produce that same amount of harvest, would use 860,000 gallons of water. Wow. Yeah, uh, because a lot of it's evaporated, a lot of it's runoff, right? It's just not used very efficiently. Uh, and then uh, from, a, from a labor perspective, uh, this is the cool thing. And again, uh, not only are we environmentally sustainable, but uh, in this acre and a half, you can employ up to 30 full-time people. And that's included in the business plan, included in the profitability piece, is 30 full-time people. Uh, that are that are no longer seasonal harvesting or planting workers, right? Right, uh, right. They're, they are, they're there. They're making a living day's wage uh, and uh, they're being cared for health benefits, everything. Uh, and to plant, uh, monitor, and then harvest and process uh, this produce. So you get 30 people in an acre and a half. Well, wh where's the most optimal place to put that? it's in the middle of an urban setting. It's in a strategic place uh, where maybe it's next to a grocery store, maybe it's next to a distribution center, uh, but it is within the community in which it serves. So uh, all of a sudden you've cut down supply, supply chain. Uh, so it's not staying three or four days in a warehouse. It can, it can go, if it's next to a grocery store and you have a packing plant next to it, it can literally go from harvest to market in 48 hours. Right. And what that does is uh, it, it puts the customer first. The customer has fresher produce that honestly tastes amazing and tastes way better than most of the produce you get in stores right now. Uh, and uh, it's safer because less hands have touched it and it lasts longer for them uh, in their refrigerators uh, and you know on their, uh, on their um, uh, kitchen tables. So you're benefiting the customer. It's customer centric. Uh, you're benefiting the employees because uh, now they have stable jobs uh, in probably walking distance, short distance from where they actually live. Uh, they are in a, uh, an industry that you said is only going to grow by leaps and bounds over the next 10, 20 years. So it's not a, a dead end job. Uh, it's in an industry that's growing and and they can grow within that. They can grow within the greenhouse from uh, picking to harvesting to packing. And then, you know, maybe they want to be a food safety specialist. Maybe they want to yeah. be a greenhouse manager. So all within that are ways to benefit both the employees and then the community around it. And we actually have a program that we set up because we're, as an economic unit, this greenhouse is uh, is profitable. Uh, uh, this economic unit of a greenhouse can actually give away up to 10% of its produce. And we do 11 harvests a year. So as you're being, as it's harvested, you can give away some of this produce 
to a nonprofit and the nonprofit can fundraise off of the produce that's donated. Yeah, so then yeah. all of a sudden you are, uh, if it was just a standalone co-op, call it, that's next door to the greenhouse, uh, that co-op is all of a sudden self-sustainable uh, through, the, through that produce that's being donated and through them fundraising through that in their local community. So, uh, you know, there's really an opportunity uh, to not just set up a greenhouse uh, not just buy a greenhouse and its technology, but to buy something that has a, a 501c3 uh, or, you know, an arm, of, you know, an addition to a, an existing 501c3 that's beneficial to the community. And that is uh, either heavily subsidizing, giving away or selling at a premium that can then benefit that co-op in that community, which, by the way, the co-op has to uh, employ people, too. Right. 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 Um, so you can then engage in uh, in workforce development programs. So we're thinking, hey, you know, what about uh, what about a high school uh, education, high school workforce development program? What about uh, employing people who uh, who are at risk? What about people who are coming out of uh, maybe uh, you know uh, hard uh, uh, previous you know previous experiences? Um, coming out of homeless shelters, coming out of halfway homes, coming out of, uh, of domestic abuse shelters uh, that can start a new, start a new life, start right. a new set of jobs right through this co-op and then through the greenhouse itself. So that's what I talk about when I talk about regenerative. Yeah. It's not just about uh, environmental and it's not even just about economic and it's all of it. It's all of it together. Uh, yeah. It's about re regenerating the community. Wow, yeah, and you covered a lot with describing that. That was that was beautiful. So, um, a couple of questions I still have within that yeah. are, are uh, so you know what what can be grown? Is it? And you know, a lot of your pictures on your website um, are you know, and in fact, uh, part of what you just said, I was going to read off of your web website. So I'm just going to tell folks. Please go to Eden Green, E D E N G R E E N dot com and watch their videos. Look at the, the mission and the things that he that that uh, Eddie just talked about and you know just this whole piece of it. So talk about the difference of why hydroponics versus aeroponics. Sure. And what is it that you you can grow or or can't grow? Like for example, you know, clearly, you know, to I guess tomatoes and lettuce and and um, I, I saw that, that it's a solution for hemp, you know, or you could grow kale, all those kind of things, but probably not corn yeah. and wheat, right? So, right. so talk about, you know, where, sure. how that fits within the food chain, so to speak. So uh, we can grow over uh, 50 plus varietals of leafy greens, of herbs. Uh, we can grow some, um, some berries. So when you think about it's kind of a joke within uh, uh, within the company is we grow outies, not innies. <laughs> uh, and so if it grows outwards and its root system is is fairly um, fairly light, like if you look at any leafy green uh, or herb, right, the 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 root system is fairly light and it can it can uh, work in one of our plant spots, uh, and even up to hemp um, and uh, and some of the medicinal parts of that, uh, we can grow that uh, with ease. Uh, and with efficiency. When it gets to things like, uh, you know, things that have hardy, woodier stems and roots, that's hard, that's, that's difficult for us to grow. And I think that that kind of, exp uh, I would say, highlights a, a piece of, uh, 
uh, of the equation, which is we're not the silver bullet. Uh, people talk about, I get passed all the time. Okay, so who do you think is going to win? And I said, you know, I say all the time, there's not going to be any one winner because we're all parts of the different parts of a food supply chain, right? Uh, and so there, there's room, absolutely there's room for traditional farming. Uh, we think traditional farmers are some of the hardest working people uh, in, in America and around the world. Like they have to deal with uh, not just you know, what they can control, but a ton of what they can't control, like wind, rain, pestilence, heat, drought, all that, right? Uh, and so, you know, we want to come alongside them and say, hey, here's what we can do really, really well. And, and here are the things that, you know, from a best practices perspective, uh, might be able to help you as you grow the things that you can do really well, like corn, like rice, like some of those other, you know, those other crops. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, we grow, what we grow really, really well are leafy greens, kale, arugula, spinach, lettuce, romaine lettuce, you know, butter lettuce, uh, leaf lettuce, uh, and mustard greens are really grow really well in our system. Uh, and then herbs, basil, uh, you know, um, uh, thyme, rosemary, sure. all those, all that good stuff. Peppers, we grow great yeah. peppers. Uh, and then so, like strawberries, great. Uh, tomatoes. Great system. Uh, so tomatoes are, uh, it, it depends because those tomato stalks get pretty, pretty long. Right. Uh, and so, uh, oh, excuse me. And, and that's, yeah, that's one of the things that, uh, that again, like flat tray, uh, flat tray greenhouses, uh, are, are great for tomatoes and they're, and they're great for cucumbers. Uh, but when you talk about density and growing upwards, uh, there's just some limitations there sure. that, you know, that we can okay. work through. It's just a different, it's a different model. Well, it may be uh, a next gen of some of the things you do when oh, yeah. you get footprints established in places. So, so with that, because one of the things I know that we're going to, we are challenged with now and um, even more so based on things that have happened this year, whether it's, you know, environmental destruction or just the things that have happened in some of our inner cities um, there's, is, you know, the, as a result of the pandemic, we've had uh, a whole change in how we approach work, right? So there's, right. not only is there, so, the, so that's where I talked about, I didn't like using the word the perfect storm, but you've got a lot of, of money that's looking at how do we redevelop smarter in the way we operate within our inner cities for high density living and even redeveloped our rural, some of our rural areas that have not had job opportunities. They've had a shift of, of um, older types of jobs that have moved away, whether it's manufacturing or mining or things like that. And so they, they, they're looking for things. There's still people that need to live there. There's still people that need to have jobs there. They still need to have food there. You know, so there's this, this kind of split. So not suburban, but you got rural and, and that, right? We're going to be... Um, probably working virtual a lot more now that we've figured out ways for people to be effective and efficient in a virtual environment. You can have parking decks. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so we're back. Um, so I think my question where I was going with that was, you know, we have this change in, in our, how we approach work right? And there's going right. to be office buildings that are empty, parking decks that are empty. 
So can your technology be retrofitted and used within an office building structure or like on top of a building or on a, on, on a parking deck and a, you know, something like that? Is it, can it be done that way or is it does it have to be on flat new ground? Uh, it does not have to be on flat new ground necessarily. It does need to be flat. Uh, but the good thing is, is we don't need soil. Uh, we really just need flat cement on which to put our uh, mechanical engineering and plumbing platform as well as uh, our, our vines. So really there's some, there's some retrofitting that would be done. Uh, it, would, it would probably affect the CapEx costs, right? Uh, but it's not impossible. And, uh, and I would say as the technology, as there's just innovations all around the industry, I think that's going to become more and more of a thing, right? Um, and, you know, from, a, from an urban setting, uh, you're able to charge a little bit more in terms of locally grown. We're a huge increase across the industry in the demand for locally grown food and people willing to pay premiums for that because they want to know where their food comes from. And so with that comes the ability to just building an extra little cost uh, if you're going to retrofit buildings, if you're going to put things in, uh, in innovative new places like parking garages, right, on the top of parking garages or buildings. Uh, so that's, uh, that is where uh, I think the industry is headed, and that's definitely where we're headed. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit, mentioned the, the pandemic a bit. So has that, because we have had a major, you know, supply chain disruption when it comes to, you know, produce. I, I, like when it first happened, I was like, okay, what is it that I have to have? Well, I have right. to have lettuce. I've got to have tomatoes. I'm going to get, see if I can grow some zucchini. Right. And uh, let's let's go with a little bit of chard, right? Well, you know, well, he, as I <laughs> here in here in Texas, uh, there is a there is an the, I think HEB put out. You know, there's there's a two person or two um, two brisket limit per person. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I am I you know I don't have a green thumb. I mean, I do pretty good with my orchid. I got it took forever to get a tomato. And, uh, you know, my, right, my, and I, it took me a long time to figure out how I'm actually supposed to, to fertilize the zucchini for it to actually grow. These little things are not a zucchini. So, you know, it is a skilled job that I think you'll be having people do when they're managing the, the growth of your vegetables and stuff. But so, you know, my question is, has the, has the COVID, the pandemic been a wake up call? That people said, oh, you know, communities are like, oh, we really do need to look at these other things and we need to look at other ways of doing this. this you're, you're, you're here. This, yeah, this Zoom, uh, my Zoom client, I don't, I don't know what is going on. I apologize. That's all right. Did you hear my question? I did. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, in terms of uh, just, uh, just n the basic foodstuffs that people need, uh, it's, it's going to be an issue with locally grown. Like people are going to want, like if you tell my wife that she cannot get strawberries uh, 12 months out of the year, like there's going to be problems, right? <laughs> um, so there's basic food things that people need, but then there's also just the demand that people are used to about, uh, you know, about, uh, uh, food, about produce, about uh, just basic foodstuffs that people want year round. Uh, and so that's what locally grown 
addresses. It addresses, I think there's a new, uh, a new definition of locally grown. First, it's uh, accessible, right? Everyone, everyone has access to it uh, from, uh, from the top of you know, the highest socioeconomic status uh, down to folks who are underserved. Uh, and local provides for that. I think locally grown is going to come to mean uh, consistent. You can get it year round, season agnostic. Uh, and then lastly, locally grown is going to mean safe and accountable because you know where you're getting the food from. Um, so uh, I, I think that new definition of local and locally grown uh, is really going to expand and people are going to demand it. The consumer will demand that new definition. And anyone who doesn't uh, who can't meet that, any grocer, any retailer who can't meet that, it's going to have problems. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's, it's been a challenge. So I think there's, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm working on as a result of the Opportunity Zone funds um, going yeah. into these cities. Uh, this, there's a, a movement afoot of um, really the black and brown community coming together and taking charge and pooling their money to invest and redevelop the community right. where they live. Um, right. I've got a project I'm working on right now on that in North Carolina that I think this is going to be a mm. good piece of that particular puzzle, which kind of leans into, um, so talk about where your, um, like how, what, what does it cost to do this? Or is it the kind of thing sure. that you're selling it as a turnkey or you're looking for joint venture partners of community and financing sources to go in and do that? And yeah. then you, maintain an interest in it. Talk about a little bit about your business models and maybe you have a variety of business models that communities can use or reach out to you to embrace this. Sure. So our main business model is, I would just call enterprise level, right? You're, you're feeding tens of thousands of people. And so the, the likely suspects for that are retailers, wholesalers, uh, their uh, philanthropies, nonprofits that uh, want to feed a community, and then their uh, regional and nation states, government authorities uh, that want to feed populations. So with that is a, you know, commensurate with that is, uh, is an investment uh, that, that you can imagine is, you know, is, uh, is worthy of feeding tens of thousands of people. And, uh, and, and, and so you work backwards with that, then, then people, okay, is it, is it an investor-led, entrepreneur-led investor group? Uh, is it government, uh, government uh, spending, uh, World Health Organization type expenditures? Uh, or is it a nonprofit who has you know, a number of big donors that want to commit to this because they know it's sustainable uh, economically and they won't have to put another dollar in it, right? So that's the, that's the type of level that you're looking at. Uh, we are working on smaller footprints that I would say are sub million dollars uh, that uh, are maybe, you know, four or 8,000 square feet, right? That's still a lot of, uh, a lot of produce uh, compared to 62,000 square feet, which is an acre and a half, right? Uh, so, but at the same time, uh, it's really, uh, it's really more accessible, if you will, uh, the profit profitability comes with scale so it's less profitable right it may even be break even uh, but it but it comes uh, it comes at a lower price point yeah okay so now is what's um, I mean there's been I have over the years seen you know personal units and there's a thing that there's yeah. a uh, multi-level that resells these things to restaurants and 
and things, you know, that's just sort of like your individual Sally Green Tower kind right. of a deal. Right. And you've got, you know, an acre and a half. Right. Similar. So what's unique? Because I know part of it is licensing technology. You probably have kind of like made a better pizza. You get pieces of parts and put it together better. But what's your, what's a unique approach that you're doing that makes you stand out? Well, so our, um, our, uh, vertical towers are patented in the u.s okay. and then abroad uh, there's no one else doing vertical farming like we are uh, in combination with greenhouse uh, so uh, the things that are not patented uh, we've put together uh, from the industry leaders in terms of automation of the greenhouse automation of water and electricity in the uh, in the plumbing uh, monitoring and uh, and then just uh, automatic adjustments, uh, automation of adjustments to all of those variables that you're trying to control for. We've we have uh, we have perfected that model. So that's what makes us different than your normal flat tray hydroponics, uh, which have some automation towards it. But again, they don't have the density to be economically uh, sustainable in that small of a footprint. And then with vertical farms, other vertical farms, I would say the biggest deterrent is the electricity costs. Most of them are in warehouses. They're in uh, controlled environments, fully controlled environments, and their electric costs are that of data centers. Uh, really? They're, oh, they're, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars a month just in electricity costs because they're running LED lights to, to, uh, for all of their plants, whereas we're using sunlight. Oh, so that would be part of that CapEx cost if you were going to kind of retrofit, you know, some of these yeah. office buildings and malls. I yeah. was thinking about that. You know, we got big box, the way we do retail. You right. Know, we ever thought online commerce was going to, it like, it's, that's so much changed. So, yeah. you know, there's, but that would be part of that, that cock. But, you know, there are solutions where, you know, with solar or other things that they make use of as a way to offset the grid cost of electricity, you know, right. they can figure it out. And you would hope that if somebody is, you know, of a, of a city or a community is looking at this kind of a solution to solve their problem for, you know, grown local and access to this food, you know, they would also be looking at ways to cut their energy fossil fuel consumption as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we start to ride down here, Eddie, what else would you like to add that uh, we haven't talked about yet? Um, I, I would just say, man, it's, it is a new way of thinking. The, the, the thing that we come across with the most is, um, is it believable, right? It's almost too good to be true. And if you look at photos and if you actually walk through the greenhouse, uh, and I invite folks as, as things start to open back up to come down and see our R&D facility, uh, in in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, we'd love to have y'all. Uh, but believability is one, and then just education on uh, this new way of thinking about the food supply chain, the new way of thinking about farming. Uh, it's just it's too uh, innovative and. So uh, it's it's innovative. Uh, it's uh, you know it's. The, the believability is, is such, it's so new, right? Uh, that you just, you just have a hard time uh, wrapping your mind around it. And so as we think about, um, and as we think about uh, spreading the word about this, or just even 
understanding, I would encourage people just to do education, like educate themselves on where the food supply chain is headed, uh, you know, reading books um, that, uh, that talk about, uh, you know, that talk about the new uh, way of, of uh, providing nutrition to yourself and to others. Uh, books like How Not to Die. It's a great book on uh, like foods uh, scientifically proven to uh, prevent and reverse disease. Hint, hint, it's a lot of greens, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so I, you know, I think there's an education piece and we're trying to uh, just educate a lot of folks on our website, not just on Eden Green, but on hydroponic farming, on greenhouse technology, on industry standards of food safety uh, and on innovation as a whole uh, when it comes to growing. So that's what we're really interested in. I think a lot of other folks are interested in it as well. And so uh, if, they're, if they are, if they want to educate themselves some more uh, to, to look us up on edengreen.com or look us up on any of our social, social handles, we're always educating. That's, that's the main thrust of, uh, of all of our marketing is less promotion about us and more about education about, uh, about how things are being grown better, more efficiently, more sustainably for the community around us. Right. Well, I tell you, everything, you know, you're just ringing all the bells for me because, you know, the way it, your company itself is designed, as you talked about, the redemptive nature of it, the, 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 the participation in the community in a regenerative way, you know, that's the conscious capitalism. And then to my investors and entrepreneurs out there that are involved and committed to compassionate capitalism, what better way to put your money to work? What if you're for funds, for private equity funds, for family offices to partner up with maybe, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, to put this into a community and, you know, or outright buy it, however you get involved in it, it, to be able to do this, to make money, but also have such a profound impact on the community that the, that one of these, uh, virtual, these vertical, um, uh, farms is going to be put into, I just think that that's such a win-win on so many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We think so too. Yeah. So I'm just delighted to have been introduced to you and have you be a guest on my show today, Eddie, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what we can put together as we, we move forward to solve some of these problems for our communities. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to, to talk with you and, and looking forward to continuing the conversation. All right. Thank you. And everybody onwards and upwards. And uh, there'll be a, for those on the podcast, stay tuned to my post message. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.